0: consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on patreon even one dollar can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy look for a link over at the batmanuniverse.net to offer your support now and now on with the show
1: you don't like the drake i hate the drake i
0: love the drake how
1: could you not like the drake who's the drake who's the drake the
2: drake is good
0: Do you like the drake? I love the drake. What
1: about the drake? Oh,
2: screw the drake. I love the drake.
0: This is Cam Bowen, voice of Tim Drake on Young Justice, and you're listening to Everyone Loves the Drake. Hi, this is James Tynan IV, and I love the drake
3: this is george perez at cincinnati comic expo and everybody likes the drake especially the cakes
4: hi this is Mark wolfman and everyone loves
3: the drake hi this is marcus toe artist for red robin you've been listening to robin everyone loves the drake podcast good for them
1: love the drake got to love the drake i'm impressed what can i say i'm irresistible Hello everyone, welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake Comic Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and welcome to episode 128. And I want to say, question mark, happy new year. <laughs> it feels like a new year. It's see- or actually it seems like a new year, but I think it's just kind of the Clench 2.0. But you know, you'll see as we get through the show. The show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. And for those of you for our Christmas episode. That we're like, all right, I'm going to listen to this or any TV you show, your iPod or your Nano, if I'm getting all weird here, but uh, your podcasting listening device may have requested you to put in a password and you were like what's going on so there was a huge wide crash for the <laughs> Batman universe so all the podcasts and all the content were kind of in limbo for a while the new site is back up and running it's been rehauled reveninated, rejuvenated that's the word you're looking for Rob so go check out the batmanuniverse.net net our home podcasting network and now knock on wood everything should be working fine and hopefully you're listening to this we're a part are the Batman Universe podcasting network. Speaking of podcasting networks, we are part of Batman on Films podcast network at batmanpodcastnetwork.com. You can get hold of us on all the social media outlets. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. We have an Instagram page. You can email into the show at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo dot com. And if you want to check out our blogspot page, my new year's resolution is to get that active in twenty twenty one. That can be found at everyone loves the drake.blogspot.com. And there's a YouTube page which Terrence are good buddy here, has been putting up content. So he's been putting up some really cool things. Go check out the uh, YouTube page. And if you listen on iTunes or Apple Podcasts now, I believe what it's called, write a review up there, and in 2021, we will start reading the reviews for the show. So, like I said, I'm Rob, and we're kicking 2021 off to a hopefully better start than it started and uh it is a full house so with us tonight is mr ryan
0: haas how are you doing tonight sir hello i am doing pretty good i'm excited to to continue the discussion of legacy today it feels like forever
1: since we podcasted but it was just in uh december and doing all these uh 80th anniversary episodes i had a nice long backlog for a while and that kind of went away so now we're just recording one one for one here so uh also on the mic tonight is our good friend mr terrence o'neill how you doing tonight, buddy
4: hey i'm doing great rob and you mentioned in the introduction and i don't know if you'll leave it in there when you (laughs) re-record it 18 (laughs) times but uh yes you mentioned your new year's resolution my new year's resolution was to to kick it in gear with the youtube page for robin everyone loves the drake seen a couple of youtubers and had some ideas of sort of how i could make some videos and the name of the youtube page if anybody's looking for it is called the the fortress of Drakeitude. i, I made up that name <laughs> all on my own from no no other sources uh, right, and right. we just released a uh, video today which was the um, top 10 podcasts that i hate and the, the <laughs> fortress of Bailitude was on it, and now you've told me we have a guest, and now I feel really awkward. So what a segue! I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm a little, yeah. But it was only at number seven, so I mean, it wasn't oh okay, that bad, well, no, yeah, that's, yeah,
1: that's not so bad. <laughs> So we've buried the lead. Returning to this show, uh, you last heard him on episode 99, celebrating the 30th anniversary of Tim Drake, and on our countdown to episode 100, he is the host of some fantastic shows. It all comes back to Superman, a personal favorite of mine. From Crisis to Crisis, the Superman podcast, The Overlooked Dark Knight, again, another great show. Just to name a few, please welcome back Mr. Michael Bailey, sir.
2: I don't know whether I should be insulted that I was number seven. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're going to hate me, I want you to hate me the most.
4: Right. So, well, right. well, for the record, that was not... Uh, our YouTube page is not called <laughs> Fortress of Drakeitude <laughs> And I did not record a, a podcast, I mean, or a, a video of podcasts I hate. So I actually yes. enjoy all of your podcasts very much. But oh, I'm just I trying, to, trying no, to be I, funny.
2: No, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, uh, you know... I just, everybody loves the drake
4: that's right so, that's except i don't show, like
2: seinfeld folks. which is kind of ironic and makes playing your pro mm. sometimes a little uh thing so i just i just drop it in and, and not listen to it while i'm editing so <laughs> well
4: uh
1: well we that's had... okay
4: because who is it uh george perez so it's uh, especially the cake so as long as you like the drake's cakes you're okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, and I've I've said this on the show before. He was talking about the Drake's Cakes, and I had thought that was just a Seinfeld. I didn't think it was a real thing. And I'm like, (laughs) either George Perez watches a lot of Seinfeld, or these Drake's Cakes are actually a real, (laughs) an actual thing. And, you know, a few years later, we actually got them here in Ohio, finally. So... Michael was originally going to be part of our 80th anniversary, so due to the world and due to other things, uh, this guy talking right now kind of dropped the ball, and I think we had talked about doing some Chuck Dixon, Superman, Nightwing type of issues, and I don't think it got anywhere off of the planning table just because life got in the way, so I'd be a little remiss if like, I got you on. I kind of wanted to ask you one Eightieth anniversary question: Okay. Uh, who is your favorite Robin, and why do you like Robin?
2: So my favorite Robin is is Tim Drake, uh, and, and 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 it's not just because I'm on the show; it's just because I, I'm I'm in that weird generation of reader that uh, I grew up with Robin on the Adam West show and on the Super Friends, and you know I'm right now looking at a. Uh, superpowers figure. Uh, so, you know, and that was part of my childhood because, as, as, as I like to say, the deep dark secret is I started out a Batman fan uh, and <laughs> then became a Superman fan, which my friend Big and Steve says I went from vengeance to grace. Uh, a little Old <laughs> Testament, New Testament stuff there. Nice. But uh, Tim Drake uh, first appeared in 1989 mm-hmm. when he was about 14 years old. And... I was there for his first appearance, and I was nearly 14 years old. So, and, and and Tim also was like, if you were reading comics in 1990, somebody gave you a copy of that first issue of the miniseries. I mean, mm-hmm. him becoming the new Robin was like this huge deal. And I followed him off and on, uh, mostly on uh, eventually through the years and I just I just loved him I I, I I feel like he is somebody that I kind of grew up with even though he's stayed somewhat teenage years and I sadly have not <laughs> uh, but I just I just think that he was especially you know when written by Chuck Dixon was mm. such a Fully rounded character. I mean, a little bit of a a a, a little bit of a Spider-Man clone in certain areas. Mm -hmm. You know, for goodness' sake. Well, his Flash Thompson got shot dead, but that's entirely beside the point, (laughs) right? Uh, Right. (laughs) But uh, but no, it's just Tim was always the guy that came in. You know, he didn't. There was tragedy in his origin, but that's not why he wanted to become Robin. And he had a dad, which is why I think Identity Crisis was kind of a mistake in killing Jack Drake because it's what separated him from Dick. Yeah. And definitely what separated him from Jason. You know, he had this other family, and that was such a great dynamic. And once that was taken away, and once Damien showed up, it was like, <laughs> let, let's get him and Wally West got an apartment together because they kept getting <laughs> sidelined. Yeah, uh, I love Robin because, as much as I like the Grim Avenger of the Night, Batman and Robin has been part of my existence for as long as I can remember. Uh, that Adam West TV series was huge when I was a kid, and again, he was on the Super Friends. Uh, you know, he voiced by Casey Kasem. Hmm. Still, kind of weird to me. But, you know, he he was always part of that team. And so when you're in love with a fictional universe and you're in love with a particular facet of that universe, it always kind of stays with you. So, you know, even when uh, Dick became Nightwing, and that's when I started reading comics, he was already Nightwing. It's like Dick was Robin, but he's more Nightwing than Robin. And that's another reason why I think Tim is my favorite, is because Tim was the Robin when I was reading comics the heaviest. So. And, and, and that's, that's, that's all i got to say about that.
1: <laughs> well, this looks like a good time. We're going to take a quick promo break. We'll probably play... You know, some random promo here. I'll pull, like, one of Shag's out or or something like that. No, of course we're going to play stuff from Michael Bailey. On the other side, when we come back, we're going to take a quick look at Bane of the Demon, the next entry for Batman Legacy. And more importantly, we'll take a look at Catwoman 36. Don't go anywhere, folks. We will be right back.
2: Pocketed as a baby from the doomed planet Krypton, young Kal-El was found by a kindly couple and raised as Clark Kent. He discovered that he possessed powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men, and thanks to the upbringing he received from the Kents, he vowed to use those powers to help all mankind. This, in a nutshell, is the origin of Superman, and while the specific details have changed over the years... The overall idea of the origin has remained the same. My name is Michael Bailey, and I host a podcast called It All Comes Back to Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman is the monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith. And since it is Superman's 80th birthday in 2018, I thought it would be fun to look at how Superman's origin has changed and evolved over the years in an eight-part series I'm calling... Superman, Superman many, lives, many Lives, Many Origins Many Lives, Many Origins will go decade by decade and see how the Man of Steel's backstory was portrayed in the comics, on the radio, on television, and in the movies. How has Krypton changed over the decades? What about the Kents? I'll also be looking at the origins of some of my favorite members of Superman's rogues gallery, such as Lex Luthor, Brainiac, and Metallo. Superman. Superman. Many Lives,
3: Many Origins.
2: An examination of the backstory of the Man of Steel to celebrate his 80th year. This eight-part series starts on April 30th, 2018. You can find It All Comes Back to Superman and the other shows in the Fortress of bailey podcasting network at www.fortressofbaileytood.com. Did you leave the car running, Andy? I did. I'm not sure why, but I did. It's important. Like getting these comics from Ryan and Chris's Nightcast offices.
3: Why are we getting these comics from Ryan and Chris?
2: So, since Nightcast isn't covering what they originally set out to cover, I thought it would be fun to talk about the Jim Starlin run of Batman, so we're getting the comics from them to do that. And and they know that we're doing this? What? That we're covering Batman issues 414 to 430? Yeah,
3: totally. I, I checked in with them and everything. So you got permission... To get these comics, which includes the storylines, Ten Nights of the Beast, The Cult, and The Death in the Family.
2: I totally told them we were covering these books, yes.
3: And we're starting these episodes in May. That is, if you actually edit them on time.
2: <sighs> yeah, Andy. The the series starts in May and can be found on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and at www.FortressOfBailey2.com. Busting my balls and everything.
3: Yeah. Alright, right, right. Let, let's let's hurry up There are listeners that want to hear this And I have to get back to Atlanta in 28 hours So I can get my flight home
2: oh, No problem, i got the comics right here
3: What's going on here? Andy? Mike? What are you doing here? Why do you have our comics? Say, Mike Yes, Andy We didn't get permission to take these comics, did we? No, Andy And when you told me to get the box out of the car You were really picking the lock to get in here? Yes, Andy So what do we do now?
2: Well, uh, we could try to talk our way out of this, but when I tell you to run, run! The Overlooked Dark Knight covers the Jim Starlin Batman Run, a multi-part series of episodes beginning in May of 2020. From the grisly dumpster killings, to a death in the family, and everything in between. The Overlooked Dark Knight is part of the Fortress of bailey podcasting network, located at www.fortressofbaileytood.com. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and Spotify.
3: I'm going to barbecue your ass in molasses.
1: All right, and now the synopsis for Bane of the Demon. Now, this was originally going to be a short little discussion, but if you look at your podcast feed, you'll see that this show is about an hour long. So we talk a little bit longer about Bane of the Demon than I thought that we were going to, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. So I decided not to write my own synopsis. I'm going to use this from a DC wiki, a DC fandom page. Before we get to the synopsis, let's take a look at the information of these four issues, and I'm going to get that from Mike'sAmazingWorld.com. Bane of the Demon number one came out on March 1998. It's the cover date, and the release date is January 7th, 1998. Issue number two has a cover date of April 1998 with an on sale date of February 11th, 1998. Issue number three had a May cover date of 1998 with an on sale date of March 4th, 1998. And the fourth and final issue in this little mini series that ties into Batman Legacy has a cover date of 1998 with an on sale date of April. 1st, 1998. And the creative team is the same for all four issues, with the writer being Chuck Dixon, the penciler Graham Nolan the inker Tom Palmer, the letterer Bill Oakley, and the colorist Noel C. Goodings. This has been reprinted a couple times in Bane versus Batman versus Bane, rather, Trade Paperback 2012, and in more recently, the book that I'm reading this out of, and that Ryan is as well, is Batman Legacy Volume 2, Trade Paperback 2018. So, we're going to kick it over to DC Fandom, let them do some of the heavy lifting on the four little synopsis that they have, and they're pretty succinct. So, here we go. Synopsis for Bane of the Demon, number one. Bane returns to his home of the island of Santa Prista. He talks to his father Ortiz. They discuss men who could possibly be Bane's real father. Bane travels to Rome to try to find information about a secret order. He discovers this group is the Order of Saint Dumas. He travels to Singapore looking for information. Meanwhile, Talion steals the Parthian text from the same building Bane is in. Bane of the Demon, part two. The man was looking for the Swiss, is supposedly killed by an Azriel. The League of Assassins discover a body in the waterbed. Bane then attacks and seizes Talia al Ghul. Before he can escape, Talia overpowers him. Bane is brought to Ra's al Ghul, where he and Ra's quickly strike up an unlikely alliance. Bane saves Talia from a large creature while swimming. Bane and Talia kiss. Later, Bane hides in Talia's room As her father, Raz, discusses a dangerous virus That is being released in Gotham Raz knows that Bane is with Talia From a security camera he placed in the room And states that he needs watching And possibly killed Bane and the Demon Part 3 Bane and Talia, Al Ghul, are fighting Cobra Seeking more texts for Raz Bane captures the leader and seeks information on Raz Bane also gets the texts that they seek Talia and Raz discuss Bane and her being together with him she does not approve of the idea. Bane is listening to their conversation. Sherman, the librarian, takes Bane to see Roz's Lazarus pit. Bane expresses the desire to be reborn in the pit at the new millennium and kill Sherman. Bane reveals that he has listened to all of Talia and Raz's conversation in foreign languages. Raz decides to prison Bane until he dies. And the fourth and final issue of Bane of the Demon. Bane is in prison beneath Rachel Ghul's lair. Where he is located begins to fill with water. Bane escapes from the prison. Meanwhile, Raz is missing vital information in his search for the wheel bane sneaks into talia's headquarters and binds her and confronts raz a sword duel takes place in which raz wins but he cannot kill bane because bane has memorized and destroyed the missing pages raz needs raz decides he would make a perfect mate for his daughter and allows him to live All right, folks, there were some promos and probably a little synopsis for Bane of the Demon, because I will probably say it wrong continually through this show, and Terrence will point it out. So uh, this was not part of the initial homework, if you will, for everyone tonight, but I did want to go through a little bit of Bane of the Demon, kind of go around the room and uh, see what you guys thought of it. For those of us that had uh, read it, or maybe it's been a little bit. The interesting thing, I think, about this, um, I've got the new trade that I'll be reading. uh, We'll be discussing things out of tonight for, I think this came out in 2013, I believe. The new trade? No, it's newer than that. Yeah, it is newer than that. It's like 2017. 2017, yes. Yep, 2017. So they put this back in chronologically where the story should fit, but this... Didn't actually come out till 19, March of 1998, almost two years after legacy concluded in October of uh, 1996. So I just want to ask everybody, uh, did you read this when this first came out or would you read it just uh, for this recording? So uh, let's start with uh, Ryan on this one.
0: No, like as uh, I've mentioned on our previous Legacy show, the my first experience reading Legacy at all what was in the original trade paperback. So that itself omitted a lot of the prelude issues and mm-hmm. some of the, the larger things in the story anyway. So I didn't even know about the, those issues, let alone that there was a, another story that Chuck Dixon had written a little bit after Legacy that fills in those gaps and fills in those blanks. And interestingly enough, it's it's... It's kind of a similar situation to to the Robin Year 1 how right. <laughs> how there's a story and then he like there's obviously a story behind the story but there isn't a real one but then later on he goes and fills in the blanks. And so I thought that was really... So I think I, in the intervening years, I had seen an issue or two of it, but I didn't really know what it was. And if I would have known and done like three seconds of research to find out like, oh my <laughs> gosh, this is like a legacy prequel. Like, hell yeah, I, sh- I should have gotten it then, you know. But but the way that they've incorporated it into this uh, these two newer trade paperback volumes is really smart. I mean... I think it's on DC Universe Infinite right now. Man, that's a mouthful. But, like, (laughs) it's not organized very well. It's just, like, at the very beginning or something. But the way they do it in the trade is really good because it preserves the spoiler that Bane is Ubu. It's almost like Star Wars, how, like, there's that certain Star Wars viewing order. I forget what it's called. But, like, you watch, you know, episode, you watch A New Hope, and then you watch Empire Strikes Back, And then when you find out that Darth Vader is Luke's father, spoilers, then you go back and watch episodes like two and three to find out like the backstory behind it. And then you get caught up or whatever. So that's kind of like the way they do it here is like, Oh crap. Bane's back. And then they rewind a little bit and then you, and you see how Bane got to where he is. And then you pick back up with uh, the current story at hand. So, so yeah, I read it for this for the first time and, Man, it's one of those things where I'm kicking myself. Like, man, this was so good. Why did I wait so long to read it? It is absolutely, it's quintessential Bane. It's like peak Chuck Dixon, Graham Nolan, Bane. The dialogue is great. The story is great. It ties into legacy in a really fun, smart way. But it's really character-focused, obviously, on Bane himself. And... Uh, a surprising number of things in that story i found echoed or probably you know were inspirations for things that happen or were constructed in uh, the dark knight rises so i thought it was a really great read so yeah
4: uh, terrence what about you uh when this came out in 1998 i was not reading comics at that time i was uh, i had moved to a different state and hadn't really found a comic book store and was trying to start my career, and and just it was uh, one of those dark times where there were no comics. (laughs) So I I did not read this, and I didn't even really know too much about it. Doing a a quick little uh, research, in 98, Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan were still on Detective Comics at that time, although when the first issue of... uh, Bane of the Demon came out. I almost said Son of the Demon. So what I you know. did to me, Rob? You son know, of the Demon. <laughs> yeah, it's like Gene Simmons' kid, right? Son of the Demon. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, when when this came out, Detective Comics 719 came out, and that had a guest penciler of Jim Aparo, so I, I guess, I thought he was kind of retired after uh, Nightfall, but maybe he was kind of semi-retired. Came back for yeah. a couple of issues. Yeah, or... probably some of his last work, filling in for Graham Nolan so he could do this issue. Also, if anybody's curious, Robin51, came out. Also, Chuck Dixon was still on that. He stayed on the book till issue 100. So that puts a timeline and the Detective Comics 719, it says a cataclysm prelude on the cover. So that gives you like an idea of when this is kind of coming out in in the Batman kind of universe. I did not read this obviously, like I said, when it came out in 98. I actually did not read it until today. So so, um, (laughs) it's pretty fresh in my mind, but I enjoyed it. It reminded me a heck of a of a mini series that came out, I think it was, it came out in 2017, it might have wrapped up in 2018, called Bane Conquest, mm. which was also by, it was like a return for Dixon and Nolan to mm-hmm. DC Comics, and it just felt like a good old fashioned, like 80s Sylvester Stallone, just action flick, and, and the writing, the, the layouts, the art, everything just felt a lot like that miniseries, which I liked. But this, this series asks the, the, the really important question, which is, how many panels of a comic book does batman have to appear in for his name to be in the title and on the cover because <laughs> i counted zero <laughs> did anybody did i miss batman somewhere because it's called batman bane of the demon Do you see yeah, a
0: shadow no. shadow of him at the very very last panel okay the yeah. so there you go that that so answers the question yeah one it's a tax
1: dodge <laughs> yeah <laughs> <a> tax dodge. <laughs> uh mr bailey how about you sir
0: i
2: did not read this when it first came out, I was just starting to dip my toe back into into the Bat books because I, I, I had a very tumultuous on-again, off-again uh, relationship with Batman in the 90s. And I had left, like, right after, right around the time Legacy was wrapping up is when I kind of walked away from the books for about a year. And I came back for Cataclysm, not because I saw the comics and they were cool, but because I read the Wizard special.
1: Mm, I remember that.
2: Uh, yeah, it was a great Batman Wizard special with this awesome Phil Jimenez uh, cover. Oh, yeah. So this was kind of, you know, just just completely escaped me. And about five years ago, I went on this weird kick where I was just filling in holes in my collection. Uh, and I, I saw on eBay a lot. Uh, that I got this for like five bucks in shipping. So I'm like, okay, score. And I read it, and my my, my first reaction to it was, uh, "Wow, Bane is thirsty."
0: Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! That. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like like uh, you know, I just never really thought of Bane like that. But no, this 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 was. I really kind of wish I would have read it back then, but I'm kind of glad that I didn't because it created more of a enjoyable reading experience. and I read it all at once, like years detached from that instead of it being part of uh, my regular weekly buying diet, which uh, 1998 was uh, was probably at its peak. God, I was buying a lot of books then. What the hell was wrong with me?
4: <laughs> and I think Can I, I, I ask, oh, do you still have them? Are they all in long boxes somewhere, or have you parted ways with them? So I
2: divested myself of about 80%, maybe 90% of my collection about a year and a half ago. So all of my Bat Books are gone, but... I have trade paperbacks still, so Bane, Bane, I was about to say "Bane, Bane of the Demon." Oh, um, I've screwed this up for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like the son of the demon from that Jim Boone episode
4: of when he was <laughs> did you Did Jordan you sell Batman. all? Did you sell all your comics in one shot and be one big lot, or did you spend yeah. like years putting or months putting them all on eBay in little little bits?
2: Both. I went through this. It was was the weirdest breakup ever. I I started, I'm like, okay, I'm not selling any of my DC stuff, so I'll sell the Marvel stuff. Okay, I'm going to sell this DC stuff, but I'm never selling my Flash, Green Lantern, and Batman. Okay, I'm selling my Green Lantern and Flash, but I'm never selling my Batman. (laughs) Okay, I'm selling the Batman. <laughs> so, and it's because I realized just having <laughs> all these comics really wasn't bringing me any joy, and they were taking up a lot of room. I will say this. The Batman lots uh, that I did, I put uh, the lot of that had 400 to 450 of Batman on. Uh, I did it through the phone app for eBay because it was just more convenient. I did that at the end of my lunch break, I walked back out onto the floor and it had already been bought. (laughs) Jeez. Like, that was the fastest I ever sold a lot on eBay. And then eventually I I, I had, like, all this other stuff, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to sell it all in one chunk. So I kind of did both. I I thankfully never had any eBay horror stories, and only once did I send the wrong thing to the wrong person. Oh. Uh, So I was kind of lucky on that. But, yeah, I, I had, like... Good lord. Everything from almost Detective 500 till about the new 52. Oh, okay. And around the same with Batman. I, I, I had all of the post-crisis stuff, definitely, but I had started kind of going back further and further until I woke up one day and I was surrounded by nothing but Batman comics and I didn't remember the last three days and I realized I would hit rock bottom. So uh it was,
4: it, was <laughs> time, it was time to get help. Is what Been I there, saying. done that. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, I didn't read this until about a year and a half ago, uh, right before the you know world imploded. Probably one of the last comic hauls I had done for like same thing. Like, oh, I'm trying to fill in you know spots in the collection where I was missing issues. This wasn't even on. I think I'm trying to remember what the Raish Al Ghul book that I bought. It was four four issue mini series i think of stuff that uh denny o'neill had written and this was in a lot with it and i was like oh cool look bane son of the demon i'm just thinking it see i said son of the demon again bane of the demon <laughs> i had no idea that it was tied in to legacy so i had started reading and it. it wasn't until about halfway through book one i was like this seems so familiar So I started to do a little, like Ryan said, if I had taken three seconds to do a little bit of homework, I would have realized you know what I had had. But I think I had filed them and put it away for about six months, and then I had stumbled across it again trying to figure out, like, oh, where does this book go chronologically? And I just thought, well, the best way to figure that out is just to start reading it, and again, instead of doing homework. But then I was the same way, like, wow, I wish I would have kind of known this was out there before before
4: but um yeah i was i was real impressed by it about with the long boxes and everything when you sent out this um message saying we were going to do bane of the demon i was like oh i've got that so I, I went digging through like long box after long box finally pulled it out and realized i had batman the demon laughs which is a joker <laughs> oh a man demon story done by chuck dixon and, uh, and then i had to go buy this one digitally so i could <laughs> do the podcast tonight <laughs> yeah and then i sent out a little
1: disclaimer like hey we're not going to totally review it so you're like great I just read four issues for nothing yeah <laughs> it was good move it on psych but you know I would say like is this essential what should this have been something that uh was you know hindsight being 2020 like man Chuck why didn't you write this back in 1996 when everything else was going on
0: oh it may it's obvious why like they didn't it's it just probably wasn't part of the plan because yeah. you remember like Legacy is a kind of a big story, but it was told in the books within the span of what, like a month or something. Like it was boom, boom, boom every week. There was one or two of these coming out, and it didn't really fit. There wasn't a place for a story like that to fit unless they did it like as a one shot. Like, like they could have. done like a death metal thing or something where it's like oh here's the main story but here like here's the next week and here's like the special in
4: one shot where it shows here's all the this dark
2: version stuff. of legacy and yeah, it was a it was dark a sur-
4: legacy it was a surprise that reveal that it was bane working with graz so it would have ruined the surprise if they would have had this yeah yeah. Too. yeah and it, like we like we were
0: called before that this was the first major big appearance of race of uh in years I believe, yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. first, certainly the first time that Tim Drake has encountered him.
2: And, and I think the other, the other thing is, Denny O'Neill really didn't do specials like that no. during, for his big crossovers. I mean, uh, Vengeance of Bane, the, the first special, like, that was, that was a wall book because it was so, and,
0: and so, so, sort of, Azrael. It was like, this, yeah. it was like, yeah, it was kind of an outlier, wasn't it? Like, um, yeah, wasn't so a he didn't thing. really
2: do things to draw attention to the and and right after this they go into their moratorium of no crossovers at all uh, yeah. for, in, in the Bat books for about a year when they figured out it's not really affecting sales at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, for a little bit, I kind of want to talk about just some of the standout moments from Bane of the Demon. I got to read what I'm going to say here, so I don't say it wrong again. Uh, some standout moments from it, like I was just really surprised, and again, like hindsight being 2020, and I, I want to see a director's cut of Chuck Dixon's Notebook some time of just all the ideas that he had of like when when was the first conceptual idea of like hey we did this thing in Legacy and I know hindsight being 2020 you can kind of go back to say oh we could really explore these ideas but it, it sounds dumb to say it's Chuck Dixon too but it seems extremely well thought out and if you didn't tell anybody that this didn't come out in 1996 it it doesn't feel like he's He's treading on ground where it's like, all right, you're kind of rehashing things.
0: No, it's it's pretty pretty damn seamless.
1: So I just kind of wanted to go around and some some parts that you guys liked. If I didn't know any better, I would have thought Jim Ballant drew this because I don't remember Graham (laughs) Nolan. (laughs) drawing the female form as well as he did and that was probably the biggest shock that was the big that
0: was the biggest shock in the book i was like whoa whoa, what am i reading what is this it was like (laughs) some like uh baywatch 80s kind of thing but it did it did it kind of fit it kind of fit because the whole this whole thing it does like it i guess i still haven't read bane conquest but it does have that kind of if and it, it fits that swashbuckling like action movie, Expendables type of uh, tone, I guess. Um, you know, James Bond. I mean, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of influences there, and um, in, coming in here, and it feels like a modern day like Denny O'Neill story, you know, too, in terms of how the racial and Talia characters are treated too, and. and melding Bane in there, it feels really um, seamless and, and makes sense and all that stuff. What I thought was interesting, and I don't know if, if one of you guys knows the answer to this, but we know who that story brings up, who Bane's father is, and Rachel Gould is laughing at it, but and, but it doesn't actually get revealed in the story. And I think it gets revealed later, and I, I think we know who it is. I think we know it's Kingsnake, right? Kingsnake, but yeah. I thought that was interesting that they bring it up, but don't resolve it. But yeah, there's a lot of things in the book that I thought were cool. I mean, Bane just likes killing people. Just He just kills people all the time. That's his thing. And I liked how each issue starts with the same kind of introductory dialogue. You know, he is Bane. He's doing this. He like, And it's kind of a cool Chuck Dixon-like setup that he just keeps going on each issue. I loved how Bane gets thrown into to a pit and has to escape it. Mm -hmm. And then when he does escape it, like, you know, bats come out and stuff like little moments like that, I think, are just um, it just really it's so good. It feels like I should have already read read that, you know, and that and to me, that's like, oh, yeah, well, man, they probably surely had to have taken some influence for this from, uh, you know, um, for The Dark Knight Rises, because even when Bane confronts Talia, you know, on the rooftops early on, like, and they have the followers, like, they're jumping out of planes, and they're saying, like, oh, we're not... We weren't all gonna just leave together in this thing, and they have followers, like, sacrifice themselves and stuff. A lot of that stuff happens in the movie, so I thought that was cool. And the way that it ends, like, the very last panel, where where Chuck Dixon literally ties it into Legacy, where, you know, it's a fitting prelude to my Legacy, And, and it just... It just, it's great. It's, it sinks right back up. You know, that's the whole, it's like the whole point of the thing. And I wonder if it was like a story that Dixon wanted to tell and he pitched it, or if it's something the editorial was like, hey, can we do something? Like, I'm curious how it, that whole thing came about, but what did you guys think? Michael, what do you got?
2: I just was so amused with how disgusted Talia was with him, just in general. <laughs> yeah which which is why dark knight rises is one of the reasons why that movie really doesn't work for me at all because i'm like no 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 these two aren't supposed to have any kind of positive relationship she he is supposed to disgust her because he is the opposite of what the detective is so you know i just just that one moment when she she looks at you. And she looks at him. Excuse me, not you. I'm sure she would be have nothing but nice things if she looked at you to of say and said, so, you know, the stink of it, the stink of you. He's like the blood. It's just like God, you're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I realize you were raised in a prison, so you you have no healthy attachment to anything. But still, that that was a that that was a stupid thing to say, Bane. But it was interesting watching watching Bane kind of do the same dance with Roz or Raish, because I like to satisfy both of those camps. <laughs> and, and and just, he's, he's trying to be Batman. I don't think he's purposefully trying to be Batman, but he's trying to be Batman. He's trying to have that same relationship. Uh, or Dixon is playing with the similarities in, in how the two were... You know, Bane is totally on board with joining up with uh, Raish and Batman's just like, nah, nah, brah, uh, he, you're you're a little too extreme for me. But just how that fourth issue opened too of him in that pit, mm. and he's surrounded by water. It's just such moody artwork. It's it's one of those things. I find that Chuck Dixon and, and I know this is something you guys have probably said a thousand times, Chuck Dixon is one the best action writer in comics ever. Mm. Like he he defined how you do an action comic, and not like action comics, but action in a comic. He he sorta got into that where all of his books start on a high note. Uh, on one, uh, to one degree or another, whether it's an action sequence or it's in the middle of a tense scene mm-hmm. and he was the right guy, obviously one, since, you know, he co-created the character, but you know, he was the right guy to kick out a four issue miniseries like this because it reads really fast. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not a quick read, but it's a brisk one because the pacing is just so fast. And, uh, yeah, i gotta I got to agree with you all. Wow, there was a lot of skin in this
4: magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Ryan, or Ryan G's. Uh, Terrence, what do you got, buddy? Back in the 90s, I read an article or an interview with Chuck Dixon, and he mentioned something about I always start with action, and that's always stuck in my brain that every time I open that Chuck Dixon book, it always starts with action. And when I open up another book from someone else, and it starts off with just, like, all this, like, death by exposition, and I'm like, oh, can't this person be like Chuck Dixon and do this on page seven? Give me something in here. A couple things that stood out to me was, you know, the scene where Talia and Bane get very intimate. In- intimate? Intim- intimate? what I don't even know what I'm saying. They have sex. Intimates. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I was trying to be, like, classy, and I'm, like, talking about Entenmann's or something. Yeah, they know? buy a bunch they, of they, donuts. It's great. Exactly. <laughs> the Endemans donuts. They, that reminded me a little bit, if you guys read Rebirth a run of deathstroke there was an arc with batman where deathstroke was claiming that he was damian wayne's actual biological father uh because of his relationship with talia and i thought you know how cool with this you could have actually like thrown in there well maybe bane is actually you know the biological father just in a storyline ryan kind of touched on it with the the king snake thing and i i kind of had to look up uh, with this but um I kind of forgot. They mentioned that there was four possibilities that could have been Bane's father, and that reminded me a lot of my first Batman comic, Death in the Family, where Jason Todd had, like, I think three possibilities of who could be his mother, and he was kind of searching out and trying to find them. I don't know if you guys picked up on it or remembered it, but there's a... Uh, they make the comment in there that, oh, there's a, a kindly doctor who was helping the, the, the people even after he was threatened to to leave, he still helped. That's Thomas Wayne. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. So then later on, it comes back in a storyline that Bane thinks that, well, maybe Thomas Wayne could be his father and they kind of team up until they get the um, paternity test. And I had that right there. That's That storyline's actually in Gotham Nights 33 to 36, which came out in um, November two thousand and two, So it's kind of amazing that like Chuck Dixon's writing this story in 98. It's going back to stories from a couple of years ago, but then it's also foreshadowing stories in the future. And then he finally figures out um, it's Snake and Gotham Knights, 47 to 49, which is in uh, January to March 2004. So this is like laying the seeds for some stuff that's going to really just be a big part of Bane's story. And I think... Like, a lot of other writers and a lot of other creators would have had Bane and Legacy. And, oh, look, it's Bane with Raza Oh, it's the team up. Oh, okay. Uh, where, but Chuck Dixon's got to say, like, wait, no, how did Bane get here? How did they team up? How did this happen? He'd come up with that story in his head. And then, well, might as well just make it into a comic book, you know? So I think that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, and this is, I think it was Ryan that said it's got the little bit of James Bond in it. Like, I can see those... 1970s like big huge sets that they would do to film the movies on like the the locations that Nolan mm-hmm. is putting yeah. everybody in is just again it's it's Graham Nolan but it's it's taking you on a journey that was something that I really liked about these four issues that, especially
4: oh sorry yeah. especially no, 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 that I, scene where Talia is like getting in her bathing suit and jumping into the water and that yeah. scream James Bond to me yeah
1: yeah and all that like michael said climbing you know out of the pit he's uh the scenes where he is trying to pull up the uh the grating that he's you know finally gotten to where the water's coming in and and struggling with that is you know again like michael said as well it's the the pacing of it i felt like there was a sense of urgency not that okay i gotta hurry up and read this to get to the podcast it was more of you know you you, it was turning pages, so I was glad that you know I had it all in in one chunk. But uh, yeah, I I dug this, and uh, I, I thought it was uh, a solid story by Dixon. I guess one of the last thing is this a quintessential a reading? If you were going to, you know, is this essential reading for the legacy of of Bane? And uh, where, where does this rank in like the your all time Bane stories? Uh, would you put this up on the likes of? Nightfall or you know maybe maybe something different. Uh, let's go with uh, let's go back to
4: Terence with this one. Yeah, you know, I I enjoyed this. I thought it was really good, but I wouldn't say it's like a must-read. You have to read this to understand Bane and know Bane and and it, it probably wouldn't be in, in the top Bane stories for me personally, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it and and, and really got a kick out of reading it. Michael.
2: I'm kind of with Terence. definitely not up there with like Vengeance of Bane or, or Nightfall. Uh, or even his appearances in No Man's Land. But mm. if you were doing like a a study of Bane, uh, which which sounds like actually a good name for a short-term podcast, a study of Bane. <laughs> study
0: um, of Bane. <laughs>
4: but,
0: but, uh, Bane goes to school. <laughs> Bane-, Bane goes to jail. Man, he's just copying Ernest, this Bane guy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you know what I mean for...
0: Bane, Bane goes to Camp Piñadoro.
2: <laughs> the uh, no but I, I would definitely you know it, it's written it's written and drawn by bane's daddies so yeah <laughs> bane has two daddies <laughs> God, and how sorry you guys keep mentioning king snake and i'm like how disappointed would you be when you found out your dad was a van Dam villain
0: well, I mean, well that's I why that's, that's probably why rachel Goo is like laughing his ass off because yeah, he's like boy like, wait this, until he this finds guy
2: this guy this is your dad. Wow, boy, did you draw the short stick? Uh, but no, I, I definitely would say it's it's not essential reading, but it's must reading.
0: Nice, Ryan. Yeah, I think um, if you're already down the the rabbit hole, it's 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 good. I I, I don't know. I need to reread the the other. Uh, interestingly, the at the very end of this Batman Legacy Volume Two trade paperback. They have also included Chuck Dixon's uh, so- solo graphic novel, you know, the just Batman Bane, which he used as a vehicle, which was released as a tie-in for Batman and Robin, because at the time DC liked to just release like little prestige format one-shots with the characters from the the villains from the movies on the cover, but the contents of the story could be whatever, right? Starting with mm. you know Penguin Triumphant and Catwoman Defiant or something. Boy that's a long-winded answer. But so I need to read that to like to see which which is the better one. And there's others. There's a there's you know at this point there's quite a quite a few luck like, bang stories like that. So I don't know. I would rank it pretty high. It's probably top 5. Like yeah, I agree with you guys. Maybe it's not essential, but if you're going down a list, it's Probably pretty high on the list because of Dixon and Nolan writing it, and I like I think the characters were done really well in it. And again, like I keep harping on, like it's clearly influenced other media, especially The Dark Knight Rises, more than I thought. Like I I knew like obviously Nightfall and, and No Man's Land and stuff like that, but reading this one, I'm like, oh wow, a lot of the character stuff is actually right in there. So
1: yeah. And I think I'm right on the same page. After reading probably like Nightfall, Vengeance of Bane, I'm like, well, if you're on a Bane kick, this this probably could be the next thing to read. And I think it works really well in tying into Legacy as a whole. But you can read this as a standalone, too four issues and and have a fun ride with it so why don't we get to our main feature the first one is catwoman 36 has a cover date of august 1996 with an on sale date of june 26 1996 the editor being the great denny o'neill the writer is chuck dixon the penciler is jim ballant the inker is robert Allen smith the letter is albert tobias dean goonsman and the colorist being bud stelzer this has been reprinted in Batman Legacy Trade Paperback 1997 and also reprinted in the new Batman Legacy Volume Trade Paperback Volume 2 2018. The cover goes to I Like Big Boobs' Jim Ballant. And again, like with Bane of the Demon, I'm going to take the synopsis from DCFandom.com. The synopsis for Batman Legacy Part 2, The Best of Enemies. Catwoman's cell is filling with water. She uses a wire hidden in her pants to pick the lock of the cell door. She swims through the place and finds Brother Umberto in a cell and frees him. Hellhound is in another cell and asks for help. Catwoman refuses and leaves him to die. Catwoman and Umberto come across a door that is closed. Catwoman decides to free Hellhound in order to help open the door with the strength of all three of them. The door opens and they climb out into the ruins. When they reach the top, Hellhound attacks Catwoman. She dodges his attack and then she beats him down until he is knocked out. Catwoman ties Hellhound to a post and walks away along with Umberto. On his private jet, Batman arranges the plans to find out what Ra's al Ghul's movement is next. Nightwing tells him that what he heard back in the ruins. Ra's plan to set a new strain of the Ebola Gulf A virus into the world. Batman recruits Oracle's help to find out where Ra's could be. With the information she provides, Oracle finds out that Raz's possible targets are Paris, Edinburgh, and Gotham City. Batman tells Nightwing and Robin to go to Paris while he heads to Edinburgh. He tells them if they don't find anything there, they will all meet back in Gotham. There they will make their last stand. Meanwhile, Collector is waiting on his boat for Catwoman and Hellhound to return with his prize. At that moment, the police of the Sudan arrive on his boat and place him under arrest for the molestation of one of the female citizens. He does not know what they are talking about, and the police point to a lady entirely covered in a veil and tells him that it was her who claimed the crime the collector is taken away and that lady walks away from the scene as well the lady walks towards umberto and is revealing that it's selena all this time behind the veil she planned the whole setup to put the collector in jail at least until they find out that he actually committed no crime and i've already mentioned his name i like big boobs jim ballant thematically just continues on with that theme of like wow there's a lot of skin and a lot of uh Catwoman in this book but that's what you expect and to be able to keep the, the theme of Chuck Dixon going on here so taking a look at the cover for 36 Terrence is this, is this poster worthy I like this this cover again this is one of those things the cover is not really evocative of anything that's going to happen kind of sort of in the book but uh, I think it's a, an interesting cover uh, nonetheless
0: so uh, what would you guys think of the cover for 36 let's start with Ryan I liked it because it, it's <laughs> It's a little, let me flip in my trade paper back to find it, but it's a little atypical of some of the, the covers you would see on some of these things where, I mean, normally it's like character up close and, you know, so you see the character, but colors are cool. The characters in the background, it's just kind of, a. it's, you know, the, the thing that's the focal point at, at the close part, you know, up front of the camera is, you know, blood and footprints. I think that's just neat. It's something you don't see a whole lot of. So I, I dug it quite a bit. Michael.
2: Uh, it's definitely got that kind of '90s action movie poster,
0: yeah, vibe yeah.
2: to it. You know, you have the the sun in the background. You have, you know, it's a desert. You know, huge sand dunes and two people lugging scimitars at each other. Uh, <laughs> yeah. for, for some reason, you know, <laughs> the Catwoman has turned her uniform into a crop top. I'm not <laughs> sure why that is, but maybe it's about it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is... Yeah. Um, I like Jim Ballot, uh, and I cannot lie. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was about to turn that into a joke. Decided against it because uh, I didn't have any follow-up for it. No, it's, it's, it's a perfectly serviceable cover.
4: Yeah. Terrence. Yeah, they do this thing in Catwoman, which you guys will notice in this issue, is that when she's far away, they color in her eyes all green. And I, I think mm. that's really cool. And But when she's up close, you can actually see her eyes. And the cover, again, yeah, it's very different from 90s covers, especially the image stuff where it's just, you know... A character or several characters jumping out of the page bigger than life to see these like two little figures on the desert is uh it's, it's pretty cool I don't know you know again if, if every cover was like this I'd probably be like eh but because it is kind of so different from what we're seeing where like Robin 32 is kind of that Robin jumping off the Eiffel Tower right in your face It's Robin so it's awesome but it, it is it is cool to be something different so I, I like this cover so
1: one of the things I think we said in a previous podcast for Legacy is this was a book that I was not actively pursuing in the 90s unless it fell into something like this. Like, oh, I'll read Catwoman because it's in a cataclysm or, or whatever. This was, going through Legacy, this really started making me go, I probably, like, I don't own any other Catwoman issues unless it's tied into a Batman series or, you know, the one-off where Tim Drake and the cyber i f- forget their their name their names now but razor cyber, rat. uh, cyber rats cyber rats yeah 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 S- with the p so that one issue that they were in but i think we said it last time this is a indiana jones a raiders of a lost ark tomb raider adventure at least through legacy that I continue to tell myself I want to go back through and read more of Dixon's era. Like, A, it's Chuck Dixon. That should have been a prerequisite anyway. But this was – I don't have a ton to go over in this book. This could be one of those stories that you could kind of lift out of here and put in the Batman, Robin, and Nightwing elements in another book, and it's fine. But I like – much like Bane of the Demon, it does paint – a better it's using more colors in your palette to be able to tell more of the story and the world that's going on around it so we've been kind of following her tangentially and like oh batman and everybody else is doing this but oh look catwoman's here too so i like that her story beat is we've kind of gone away from her for a little bit of her being locked up we get the story with Bane and now we're finding out that her cell has been flooded and she is now trying to get out and almost has that spot of like, okay, fine. I'm going to leave you. The guy that she was, has been battling uh, for so long in this, she was going to leave and decides that she's going to go back and, uh, the hellhound rather to go save, to help them get out. So what do you guys think of Catwoman in this from Chuck Dixon and, uh, her, her resolve to not just leave Hellhound, but to go back and uh, him eventually turning on her. Let's go uh, to Terrence on this one.
4: Well, I thought she was just going to straight up leave the guy to die. Like, she's just like, see you. And the only reason why she goes back to save him was because she needs his help to get that door open. Mm. So I didn't know if maybe, like... Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but maybe she she could have, but she just kind of used that as the excuse to go save him because she still walked... I- You said you didn't read this book unless it was a tie-in. I was reading Catwoman every issue, I think all all the way up to like issue 100 or something. I, I don't even know what issue I got up to, but a lot of them. I got a whole long box full of them. When it started, it's like, oh, she's a bad guy. But then it was like, well, she's a bad guy, but she's kind of a good guy, but she's kind of a bad guy. And then I was kind of taken aback of like, even though she was kind of a bad guy and a jewel thief and that kind of stuff, she was never just a straight up. Killer, And here she was just going to leave this guy to die, but then she comes back and saves him. But um, I, I was kind of taken aback by that a little bit. I do also like, and this is weird, the fact that she's wearing no shoes and she's barefoot. Even though I know the comic books are... are the costumes in the comic books are, are completely unrealistic and really couldn't work in the real world and it's just cool artwork and cool designs I don't know there's something about like having her to be barefoot just adds this like little sense of realism and I just kind of found that really cool.
0: Ryan? Yeah I mean it's it's extremely Catwoman of this era and it's it, it feels like a Catwoman thing to be like Oh, do we have to save him? Oh, okay, I guess. But deep down, she probably would have anyway. But we'll never know because she's Catwoman. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I think that's. I mean, it, it's it's walking that line like a cat does. So, that's what Dixon did a really good job of in his Catwoman tenure. And I like the that they got the rematch fight in there, and I like that we got a callback back to. Um, the collector at the end, and she she gets, you know, a little revenge on him, too. So, you know, it's kind of a superfluous thing because I don't think she comes back into the story after this.
1: Now this is her only, um, only issue
0: in it, yeah. But uh, but it is a fun, like... Um, it's like in an Indiana Jones movie or something if there was, like, a like sea plot that you just go back to for fun or something. Yeah. Michael?
2: I, uh, I read this uh, series... Back around two thousand three, I started with all the books from nineteen eighty six, and I read every Batman and Batman related book up till the two thousand two books. So I, I went through all of Chuck Dixon's run on Catwoman, and and you guys, you guys nailed it. It's Indiana Jones, it's Laura Croft, it's very, it's it's so very much of its era, but. Because of that, the books are fun to read, but they're largely—if—if if you're talking in terms of how important they are to the Batman mythos—they're—they're uh, they're, kind of inconsequential. You know, mm. you don't—you can skip them. This issue dealt very little with legacy. E- even Catwoman was more concerned with her old ninja clan rivalry. Uh which is yes. just weird. I just like like I never really thought of, of Catwoman to be one of these people that gets involved in one of these like like this is basically the Catwoman version of that Batman the Animated Series episode where the dude shows up and wants to fight Bruce Wayne. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh so Night of the th-
1: Ninja, I think. Yeah, yeah
2: Night of the Ninja. Now th- that isn't to say that this wasn't enjoyable, because it was I think, actually, the weakest parts of the issue are the ones that tie tie into Legacy. Because, one, the art on those pages is (sighs) not good.
1: I wish DC number your pages, at least in your trade. You got that long shot at the top of Batman, Robin, and Nightwing looking over the city, and you've got those first introductory panels of Oracle. If it had not said Oracle, I would have thought, who is this chick in the chair? Yeah. (laughs) As much as Ballant likes to draw certain parts of the anatomy faces sometimes are not his best friend, especially eyes and a nose. That is a homely looking Barbara Gordon there. So I, I agree with you. Like this is one of those where they're trying to move the story for legacy by giving these locations of where they're going to have to go. But I think that could have been handled better in a Batman book and just fill out Catwoman, like you said, it's like the c plot. Catwoman happens to be here, but then again, this might have been something they would not have collected for the trade. So, um,
2: and, and more to the point, it's just like all, all the the Batman scene at the end of the towards the end of the issue served to do is go, oh, this is what's going to happen in the next three chapters of the story.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't have much else for this one i think probably for for that reason if it moves a story it doesn't move it by pages it moves it by panel i th- i think that's probably the nicest way to say it i do like the the end of it where the collector uh, where catman really <laughs> screws him over by like ah he's going to get kind of interrogated and there's no you know sexual impropriety or anything like that they'll figure that out but i'll be long gone by that point <laughs> where you're kind of like Dang, I don't want to screw around with Catwoman because uh, she ain't playing around with nobody. So, if you guys got anything left on Catwoman, we can get to the Piece of resistance in my book,
4: uh, Robin 32. Uh, You guys ready to move or you got anything else? I just got one quick thing on Catwoman, and that is it really does feel like this was just a tie in just for sales purposes and didn't really add much to the story. But I do, the one thing I do like about Dixon and these tie ins, they don't really kind of insult the reader. They kind of feel Mm -hmm. like you're reading this book. If you're reading this book, that means you're also reading batman and detective and we're not going to like give you four pages of you know like let's explain who bruce wayne is or something like that yeah
0: like they they don't they didn't really go with the yeah when when you have a banner at the top of a book and it says legacy part two that should be enough for even a casual comic reader to be like the the first comic is anybody's any comic is somebody's first comic rule doesn't really need to apply to something like that hey how
2: you
1: doing buddy you need anything? You want me to go out and get your Superman comic? <laughs> All right. Well, that's where we're going to end this episode. I initially thought, "Oh, we'll just talk about Bane of the Demon just for a little bit and then we'll get into our three main issues." And as you could tell, we have spent an hour just talking about two issues. Well, technically all four of Bane issues. We had a really great conversation with Michael Bailey and don't worry. We're going to continue this on the next episode, but you're going to wait a couple of weeks. So on the behalf of Terrence, Ryan, Myself and our special guest Michael Bailey. You've been listening to the Batmanuniverse.net, and more importantly, you've been listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake Comic Podcast. We'll see you in a couple of weeks for part two of our discussion with Michael Bailey in part three of Batman Legacy. Yeah. thanks for listening to robin everyone loves the drake podcast this has been brought to you by the batmanuniverse.net tim drake robin and all batman related characters are under the copyright of dc comics this podcast is solely for entertainment purposes so no infringement is intended by this show the show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respective copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguins lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at RobinELTDPodcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the Batmanuniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media, also over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.